The first reading for our observance of All Saints' Day, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the Revelation of St. John, the seventh chapter. After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory, and wisdom and thanksgiving, and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And this is the word of the Lord. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. The epistle reading comes from the first letter of St. John, the third chapter. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. 
Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Heaven, according to the band Talking Heads, is a place where nothing ever happens. Warrant insists that heaven isn't too far away. Belinda Carlisle, in fact, claims that it's a place on earth. And many musicians claim that heaven is, well, doing some very unheavenly things. Even in our secular world, heaven is something that we talk about, dream about, and ponder about an awful lot. There are all sorts of ideas about how to get there. Do you take the highway to heaven or the stairway? There are all sorts of cliché ideas about it, like Bugs Bunny lying on a cloud playing a harp. Some people say it's somewhere that everyone eventually winds up. Others say it doesn't exist at all. Plays, stories, songs, cartoons, movies, and countless essays have been written about heaven, speculating and postulating and suggesting what it might be like. So few people, though, think to ask its maker, or to even listen to what he has already told us. Today we celebrate All Saints Day, and as we do, our minds are drawn upward to heaven, where all the saints in Christ are gathered. And as we celebrate, we start to think about our departed loved ones who dwell there now, and about our own eventual residence there. And we too can't help but wonder, what will heaven be like? Well, to start with, let's talk about what it's not. It's very much not like many of our worldly ideas or the caricatures that fill pop culture. It certainly isn't the depraved, decadent, sinful orgy that is just filled with carnal pleasures and no consequences. That's not paradise. That's just our wicked hearts denigrating God's perfect paradise and dragging down into the mire of sinful depravity what God has given to us. Likewise, Heaven isn't the cartoony version of sitting on a cloud and strumming our lyre and twirling our halo with our wings all day long. This image is kind of based on the assumption that we become angels when we go to heaven, which isn't true at all. Nor would we want it to be true. Because angels, as great and mighty and powerful and awe-inspiring as they are, they are actually beneath us. The Bible is very clear that angels, for all their sinless glory, are not the pinnacle of creation. We are, as humans. Jesus did not die to redeem the angels who fell into sin. He died to redeem us. So no, heaven is not becoming an angel and swooping around in the sky forevermore. Another great misconception is that heaven is like the bestest day on earth turned up to 11. At funerals, we sometimes hear a well-meaning person say something like, Well, now Uncle Lou is driving his 1939 Studebaker down to the old fishing hole every day now, and the trout are always biting. Or something silly like, In heaven, every day is April 15, and you always get a refund. Now again, These ideas are based on our sinful desires, even if the things that we describe aren't inherently sinful themselves. They assume that the world as we know it is as good as it gets, which is selling heaven very, very short. 
So if most of the ideas of heaven that we've heard throughout our lives are wrong, how do we learn what's right? Well, like I said, we listen to heaven's maker. Because in his holy, infallible word, God gives us a glimpse of heaven. Many of them, in fact. And while we'll never be able to fully imagine or comprehend heaven, since all that we know is a sinful and broken world, and heaven is perfect and sinless, our loving Father still gives us some very clear ideas about what his eternal kingdom is actually like. For instance, in our reading today from Revelation, we see a big part of what makes heaven heaven. We worship God face to face. We gather together with the countless multitude of believers and sing out God's praises, bowing down in honor and respect and awe, worshiping with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. Yes, heaven is like a church service that never ends. But you don't have to worry about getting bored, about not being able to sing the sermon hymn, or about your pot roast burning because the service goes long. We won't have all those sinful desires to distract us. It will be the untainted joy of worshiping God and singing his praises for all eternity without end. But it's not just worshiping God. Heaven is serving him, too. That's right. In heaven, we have work to do. Which, again, may not sound all that heavenly as we think about our earthly jobs. But here, too, sin is removed entirely from the picture. There is no frustrating and fruitless toil. There are no strained relationships with coworkers. There is no concern about your paycheck not being big enough. There are no quarterly reports looming over you constantly. In heaven, our work is joyous and fruitful because mankind was made to work. Before the fall into sin, Adam and Eve were given jobs, and they were a joy to do. We might think that no work at all is a kind of paradise, but even here on earth, if you've been unemployed or even on an extended vacation, you realize how restless you get, how frustrating and even exhausting it can be to do nothing. Our Heavenly Father created us to work to be productive, to feel a sense of duty and accomplishment. And in heaven, where sin doesn't thwart all that, we joyfully go about our God-given tasks, serving God for all eternity without tiring of it, without getting bored, without constantly looking for a different job that might be more fulfilling. Our bodies will not break down or get sore or worn out from our work. And yes, we will have bodies. We do not become some disembodied spirits that drift around. We, like our resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will have flesh and blood just as Adam and Eve did in the sinless paradise of Eden. This is why we treat our bodies with respect, even at the time of our death. The Gnostic heresy that has crept into so much of our culture says that death sets us free from this smelly meat bag that our wonderful spirits are currently trapped in. But that's not the case. God himself has given us our bodies. 
God himself cares for our bodies. God himself redeems our bodies with his own blood and makes our bodies his temple. If he has such a high regard for our bodies, we probably should too, because they're going to be ours forever. Not resurrected with the same imperfections that we had when we died, or as a pile of ashes or a dried husk of a corpse. When Christ raises us on the last day, our bodies, whatever shape they may be in, however we may have died, whatever may have happened to us after our death, our bodies will be made perfect without blemish or flaw or defect. There will be no more aches and pains. We will eat and drink, but we will never hunger or thirst. There will be no more pain, no more death, for the former things have passed away. God himself will provide everything for us, will sustain our sinless bodies for all eternity, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, removing all sorrow, all sadness, and all sin. This is what God tells us heaven will be like, a sinless perfection where we will dwell in his glorious, loving presence forever, and there could be nothing better. Every glimpse of heaven that God reveals to us in his word, it deepens its joy, its perfection, its wonderfulness. We can't really describe it. We can't even comprehend it. But we know that it's better than anything that we could possibly imagine. And the best part of heaven is that it is not some long-shot hope for the really, really, really good people in this world. Heaven is not just some far-off dream that we may or may not ever see. By the grace of God, heaven is our glorious and absolute guarantee. It is our home. When we see that multitude in our reading that no one can count, we ourselves are included there. We are the saints that we celebrate today because we are the holy ones. Not by our efforts, not because we're better than everyone else. We are absolutely sinners who deserve nothing but condemnation and pain from the hand of God who is holy and perfect. And so is every single person in that countless multitude. Every single human who enters through those gates of pearl to heaven. Every one of them, except one. The one who opened those gates to sinners like us. This is why we don't just have hope for heaven. We know that it is ours. We know it because it is God himself who gives it to us. God tells us that it is ours, and he does not lie. And he can make such a bold, bold promise, such a gracious gift, because he himself has purchased and won our place in that paradise. While we were dead in our sin. God did not abandon us to the hell that we deserved. Instead, he came to us in the flesh to take away our sin and transgression. He came to make us saints, the holy ones, who are worthy of dwelling in his kingdom of heaven. Not by rewriting the rules, not by pretending we didn't sin, not by lowering the bar of perfection of heaven by even an inch. No, he made us holy by giving us his own holiness, and perfection. We are made saints because he has clothed us in his own robe of perfect righteousness. And because he has taken all of our sin, 
all of our guilt, all of our trespasses, everything that would bar us from his eternal paradise, we have heaven. He took it all upon himself, and he paid our penalty. As our Savior Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, your sin was nailed there with him. As he died in agony, all your sin and transgression died as well. But unlike your sin, which remains dead forever, Jesus Christ rose again from the grave to show that his sacrifice was accepted and complete, to give us a glimpse of the eternal glory that awaits all those who look to him in faith, to give us the absolute guarantee that we too shall rise just as he did, to dwell with him in heaven for all eternity. All because he has worked faith in our hearts. He has proclaimed us the glorious, absolute, undeniable truth of his gospel, that by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of all of your sin, and heaven, that glorious paradise, is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.